Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, as a creative, it's really hard to put yourself out there and have feel like your work is being judged by the general public on yeah. Instagram or Facebook. Right. And I think that if people really switched their mindset from trying to get reach and getting every person to follow or like or comment on their work um, and change that to trying to build solid relationships with the clients you already have and potential clients, um, they're going to see a lot more results out of social media without it becoming super overwhelming. Yeah, Um, that's, that's good. I love that personal relationship bit. You are listening to the Filming Life podcast. I'm your host, Courtney Holmes, founder and lead educator at the Filming Life Academy, the largest online community of family filmmakers in the world, where I teach photographers how to switch over to video and create meaningful story-driven films with confidence. Joining me is my co-host, Allison Redman, community leader for the Filming Life Academy and lead educator of our extremely popular sound design course. Together, we give you an inside look at what's happening inside the Filming Life Academy, along with tips and tricks that you can use right away to elevate your work as a filmmaker. If you're not already a member, but you want to be, you can sign up to the Academy over at filminglifeacademy.com. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, listeners. It's Courtney here. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of the Filming Life podcast. I've got Allison with me, and we are also welcoming Jill Seymour to the podcast. So hi, Jill and Allison. How are you guys? Hi. Hi. Hey, Jill. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. It's good to be back. Yes, very good. It's um, the motherhood one was the last time you were on here. When was that? Mm -hmm. Remind me, was that October last year? I feel like it was almost a year ago now. Yeah. Is it really that long? Oh, Oh, wow. Well, we're really so innocent then. The world was a different place. Well, we're really glad to have you and um, thank you for being here. We have asked Jill to join us because this episode is about social media strategies for family filmmakers. And if you Mm -hmm. don't know already, Jill runs our social media account for the Filming Life Academy. She's working on a marketing course. She has a degree in marketing. Um, She is well-versed to discuss this topic with us today. Um, And so we're really excited to get her thoughts and um, just kind of share that sprinkled in with a bit of what Allison and I do and our experiences and how we think about um, social media and what our strategies are too. So it's going to be a really good episode. I'm I'm excited about this one. Um, So Allison, update. How have you been? What's been happening in your world? Well, it has been a busy last month. I feel like, what, which episode was it we were talking about dealing with COVID? I finally think I got my head around that episode, even though we had already recorded it back in what, May or June. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I feel like I have figured out a plan for my year to adapt to you know, my family film schedule being a lot different than it has been just because of safety concerns. And I'm got my year figured out for a lot more photo sessions, which is great. And I'm really happy. And, um, I've been doing a lot of email marketing with my clients here in Saudi and I've, yeah, I'm pretty much booked through the next like seven months, which is great. And so I feel good about it. It's a, it's sad to me at the same time that there's a big adjustment having to have been made, but I'm really glad that I finally feel like my head kind of got out of a funk and uh, I was able to do something. 
good. <laughs> yeah, so I've been busy doing that and I'm preparing for next week when all distance learning starts here in Saudi and my children are on computers taking yeah. up all the bandwidth all day. So that will be super fun. <laughs> Hard. What about you? How are things going? Oh, things are pretty stressful with uh, house building and mm-hmm. everything that's been kind of going along with that, but at the same time, really exciting. And uh, so, you know, just lots of planning. And um, and then on the, the academy side of things, I've just released two new courses and we've been putting mm-hmm. out new content and Um, we have, yeah, I've been kind of working on that a lot. And then I just did a new film and that just felt amazing to finally edit a film again. So I got a little bit of my creativity back, which was great. Awesome. That's really, really awesome. I know everybody's so excited about those new courses that are coming out or that have come out. Excuse me. Yeah. Yeah. Jill, have you been, what's happening with you? Uh, I wish I could say the same as Allison, that I had my head around everything, but I feel like (laughs) that's not how I feel. (laughs) I just think uh, with cases surging again in Australia, a lot of my clients have been worried about whether their sessions are going ahead. Like I have a birth client that called me yesterday and she's like, what are the chances you're coming next month to my birth? And I was really excited. This is my sort of first year since the retreat last year that I was Mm -hmm. offering films you know, to my clients sort of at full price. And I think I booked nine this year, which I was really happy with. Like that's pretty much what I can do right now. I think less than half of those are going to go ahead by the end of the year. Uh, But that's all right. I think like that everyone's in the same boat, right? Like everyone's. We really are. Yeah. And and that's got to be so frustrating for you too, with like that excitement, like, oh my goodness, this is coming. This is happening. And yeah, it's almost good though. It's like more time to practice um, and a bit more yeah. time to spend with Shay. So like it could be worse, but, <laughs> but yeah, definitely, definitely difficult to figure out. Mm, yeah. Mm. All right. Well, we have a couple of questions. Well, we've got one question that we um, have from one of our listeners who um, has asked this over on Instagram. It's a common question actually that we get. Uh, and it was, how often do you guys run the mini keepsake film challenge and how is it different from the creative life course that I did? Um, and so I can speak to this one, but um, <laughs> <laughs> there's quite a lot of differences. Um, and yeah, this is a question we get around the Keepsake Film Challenge and also the courses that are in the Academy too. Um, the same kind of question comes up, you know, pretty regularly. So at the time of recording this, we're actually in the middle of about to, like we're about to start the Keepsake Film Challenge. So by the time you are listening to this, it's probably over. We've run this, <laughs> we run the Keepsake Film Challenge twice a year and it really was born out of um, I started to just think like, how can we simplify things? How can we really scale this back and make something that's really achievable for people? And if I had to set limitations around how long I was shooting for, and then therefore how long it took me to edit, what could I achieve within a short space of time? And Mm -hmm. so that's where this idea kind of came from. And it was sort of like, how, you know, 
how many days does it actually take? How many days can we deliver the content that you need to learn to be able to shoot video and edit video? Um, right. And how can we like shorten that in a space of time that's not too <laughs> overwhelming? Um, but then you make something that you love. And right. because I think that what happens, especially, you know, people who join the academy, people who've done my workshops in the past, I used to run a workshop that was four weeks long. And while that's great for a lot of people, it's not great for everyone. And so the Keepsake Film Challenge, the idea of it was born out of just doing something shorter and mm-hmm. um, kind of dipping your toes in to the world of filmmaking without investing too much time and investing too much money as well. Um, mm-hmm. And then as I was thinking about it and talking about it with Allison and Kylie, it was sort of like, this would be such a really cool thing to run together, to put together from the three of us. We all have such different approaches. We all have such, you know, different insight um, to how we do this. And Allison and I, at the time, were also starting our retreats and running in-person things together. And so it just sort of coincided along with all of that. And now that's mm-hmm. the mini Keeps I Feel Challenge, and we run it twice a year. Mm-hmm. So it's not just me teaching. It's a lot of Allison's thoughts, experiences. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of inspiration and um, content from members inside the mm-hmm. academy. It's not even just teachers. Um, we really believe that you know there are no experts, and we're all learning from each other. And so that's really the premise too of this whole idea right. is you know, everybody's got something to bring to the table. And um, it's so much about the community that's created within the Keepsake Film Mm -hmm. Challenge. It's a real like energizing, exciting atmosphere. What we noticed about the, uh, it's that we got, we have members that will wait for the Keepsake Challenge. They're in the academy, but they, they save up some of their ideas. And then during the Keepsake Challenge, they'll do a film. So they know that they're guaranteed to make, you know, a film at least twice a year year that they're not already making like they it's almost like they're like excited just to <laughs> participate in the challenge so yeah, it's not just yeah, for I'm people that who are brand new <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> yes yeah yeah so I think that's really one of the things that sets it apart from the creative live class is you know there's obviously some overlap in terms of the basic fundamentals of shooting video because there's only one way to teach you camera settings but (laughs) (laughs) you know a lot we we also we offer a lot of additional content and we also change it every time we run it so um you know there's fresh things just you know small tutorials and small new things to kind of get you excited like I've got a new tutorial in there for this run on using light leaks in your films. And that's just something new and fun and creative. And, you know, it's short and it's easy to achieve. And it's just something that you can do. That's not covered in the creative live class. In fact, there's hardly any editing really covered in the creative live class. It's very, it's Mm -hmm. very, very um, basic. So, yeah. So that's a bit of a um, insight into the differences. I would say really it comes down to the community. Um, and then in terms of the courses, like the creative live course is wonderful, but it's mm-hmm. still, I could only do so much in two days. Like, right. <laughs> the Academy has, <laughs> um, tons more content in it, especially on the editing side of things. That's an understatement, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> understatement of the century right there. <laughs> yes. 
Speaking as somebody who was in the creative live audience for that, (laughs) it's an understatement. (laughs) Definitely, definitely. Um, And and if there's not just courses from me, there's courses from Allie, there's a course from Allison. She's, you know, um, teaching about music and audio. And then there's um, a course on birth films and we have a course on self-portrait films. Like none of that was covered in creative live. And so, you know, it's all those things. Yeah. All right. So six film challenge update current theme that we've been working on is double exposures and that's going to be coming out shortly. Our next theme, our next theme is color, um, which we're really excited about. I'm so really like thrilled to see the interpretations of the color theme. I think that's going to be fun. So um, we've got a complete educational tutorial on color that's going to be available for members of the Academy as part of the content that we provide each theme. So if you want to join us, we would love to have you. You can use the code color, C-O-L-O-R, all caps, before October 10th (laughs) when you sign up and you'll get $15 off your monthly membership fee. All right, let's dive into social media. Jill, right. I'm so glad you're here with us. Me Yay. Too. Also, I could give some help to everyone because I think we all, as creatives, could use a little help with social media, right? Like it's no we, one's favorite yes. task, is it? Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, we do, a, we do a little pre-prep meeting and I was already just like when we were kind of dis- discussing how we wanted to approach, because this is a huge topic. Like the idea, it's not just Instagram, it's not just Facebook. Social media and family films, that's a huge topic. And even just hearing your thoughts on our pre-pep meeting, I'm, um, I'm really excited to kind of dig in. I think a lot of people are going to love what you have to say. Totally. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let's start off by talking about current practices on social media and what that looks like for someone who's running a business in photography or family films. Um, and so, you know, one of the things that we've talked about is just how many hats that we have to wear as business owners, because, you know, there's really just one of us doing it. And so you're having to do your accounts, your bookkeeping, your, um, the actual creativity side, the part you actually enjoy the shooting. And then in addition to that, you've also got to get yourself seen. So you got to figure out how to market your business and all the things. And so that can be pretty overwhelming and, and it's hard to do, but we also know that social media is really important and it's a great way of reaching people and, you know, sharing your work and getting your work out there and, um, getting your name recognized and booking clients. And so how do you, how do you do that? And, um, I guess what we want to kind of start out with is what are the current practices right now? What are people doing? What are you seeing being done? Um, and you know, Jill, I'd love to see, hear your thoughts on this specifically. Um, what are you seeing happening at the moment for, um, businesses like ours? Yeah. Well, like you said, I think it's just, it can turn into such a big job, like even, um, doing social media for the Academy for the while that I have been, you realize that it can quickly become, you know, what fills up your entire day if you let it. So um, I think what I see a lot of new photographers and filmmakers doing is trying to do it all on social media and they just end up not getting the traction that they want and quitting altogether or just kind of being sporadic with it and not really having a clear and concise strategy to get them to build Mm -hmm. their business, Mm -hmm. which I mean, should be the goal, right? Like, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, as a creative, it's really hard to put yourself out there and have feel like your work is being judged by the general public on Instagram or Facebook. And I think that if people really switched their mindset 
from trying to get reach and getting every person to follow or like or comment on their work um, and change that to trying to build solid relationships with the clients you already have and potential clients. Um, they're going to see a lot more results out of social media without it becoming super overwhelming. Yeah, um, that's, that's good. I love that personal relationship bit. Um, that it's not numbers, that it's a, it's a relationship you're trying to build. That's, that's, it feels easier almost when you can be yourself and still have a strategy about how you're doing things online to your audience. Um, how do you, what, but what about the person out there who is just starting? So they, you know, they've recently opened an Instagram account. They not sure really what to do with Facebook. How does that person really establish and start those strategies that you just talked about in social media? Yeah, to, to be honest, I think it's going to be the same whether you just started out or even if you have a social media and maybe you just want to build it from there. My my advice would be the same and that's to start reaching out to people and interacting with, with people and accounts uh, or pages that are in your area and are going to be your potential clients. So for me, if I'm posting something, I'm using hashtags or sharing it in groups on Facebook that are relevant to my location. Like I know... I use, you know, Sydney family photographer, Sydney newborn photographer, Sydney film family filmmaker, knowing that a lot of my clients are, aren't or potential clients aren't going to be searching family filmmaker yet because it's such yeah. a new thing. So if mm. I still put that photography hashtag in there in my location, I'm going to get more right. eyes on my films. Um, and that's a good way to make sure that potential clients can find me. And then I'm also proactively trying to find them. So I know my target market my target client is going to be moms with young families. Um, that's usually who books me. So I'm looking at any hashtag in the area or location check-ins in my area where I know that those people are hanging out and I'm making sure I comment and, you know, like their comments and just try and build that interaction off the bat. And then, you know, sometimes they'll follow me or I'll follow them if they have um, accounts that I can follow and then really just try and start interacting with their posts, their stories, and hoping that they do the same with mine. Jill, mm. do you think that, um, there is a, or there even should be a big difference between the way that you would approach this if you're mostly targeting people for films or whether you're mostly targeting people for photography, or would you say it's the same either way? I think it really depends. For me, I know my target client wants photos as well as films. So mm -hmm. chances are they're going to behave. I, I have a more in-depth knowledge of how photography clients work because that's what I'm used to, right? Yeah. But I do think that um, you, can, you can pretty much do the same thing knowing that someone who appreciates good quality mm -hmm. photos yeah. are, are going to look at films and be like, wow, that's the next thing that I want. For yeah. sure. And I don't know, I think you guys have talked about this before. I think most people end up offering like photos with their film. Very yeah, right. few people can book a client that only wants the film. So yeah, right. it is easier to combine the two mm. and get more eyes on films through the photography side of things, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would agree. I would say the same thing. That's why like, but I get a question that I get a lot is, um, about SEO and how, how, you know, you're, you're targeting your SEO for family films. And I'm just kind of like, I'm targeting for photography. I just am right. still targeting for photography, all of my keywords, everything's still photography because 
that's what people are looking for. And until family films are like a normal everyday thing that people are getting, they're not going to they're not going to be looking for you. Searching family. So my goal is to bring in the people looking for photography and convert them once they start mm-hmm. following me. I think the only people that might have that exception is like people who do weddings um, because people mm-hmm. are actively searching for wedding videos. Exactly. Right? Yeah, that's, that's yeah. true. Yeah. Because that's a thing. Yeah. And potentially mm-hmm. births will, I think births will happen fast because people do look for birth yeah. videos. Yeah. Uh, but when you're a family photographer, yeah. people aren't searching for like family videographer. But I think that goes yeah. back to like understanding who your clients are. And when you have a really good mm-hmm. understanding, like, you know, your clients are going to appreciate photography. That's the keywords they're searching. So yeah. that's important. Yeah. Yeah. How do you, how do you approach when, if you're starting off and you know that there's just an insane amount of photographers in your area, much less family filmmakers, um, it, it must seem daunting. How do you approach that? Oh gosh. I remember when I first started in Sydney and I like Googled photographers found Courtney. There wasn't that many people that showed up on a Google search, but if you go into a Facebook, like a uh, local moms group, group yeah, there's like hundreds and hundreds and I'm yeah. really overwhelmed. And I think my biggest piece of advice for someone putting themselves out there as a new photographer, is like, don't sell yourself short and like undercut the price just because you're the newest. Because I think one good thing about being, cre- and especially if you're a filmmaker, you already have something special that a lot yeah. of photographers don't have. You've already yeah, that's set such a good point. So like, don't go in there and sell yourself for the cheapest price, hoping that people will book you. Cause that's what I did. And I booked so much work. It was great. Except for I got burnt out and mm. I could never raise my prices without then having to find a completely new client base. Cause no one's going to mm. go from paying 300 to paying a thousand dollars the next year. Yeah. If you decide mm. that you're actually worth more than what you started off. So I think when you put yourself out there, think of where you want to be in five years time and start posting like that. Yeah. Don't think I'm new and I'm going to tell everyone I'm new and that I don't really know what I'm doing. You can figure it out as you go and you can grow confidence as you go and your style can change as you go. Just put it out there that you're, you know, have confidence in yourself that you'll, you'll get to where you want to be. And people are going to appreciate your art, even if it's not everybody, Mm -hmm. because it doesn't have to be everybody, (laughs) right? You know, I think about this, like, in terms of if I was to compare it to another industry, you know, you think about, like, hairdressers or um, uh, that's probably the closest thing I can think of right now. So, like, a hairdresser isn't going to just open up a salon and do their first Mm. few cuts when they open their salon, right? Like, (laughs) yeah, they're going to they're going to spend a long time perfecting the haircut and getting good at it before they start to, before they even open a business or before they start to work somewhere. And so I think that sometimes like it's easy for us to think I'm going to skip that part and I'm, and I'm going to do all of that, like learning bit and get paid for it. And then people start to think, Oh, well, people aren't booking me. People aren't booking me. And it's usually, that's not, it's not the issue that your work isn't good enough or, you know, anything like that. It's usually, you just need more experience. You need to be shooting more. You need to put the time into it. We actually have a really good podcast on this. It takes time. (laughs) Um, and so I think it was like episode 16, if I can remember correctly. Um, and so, you know, it's just like building that, that whole 
thing. And as you said, Jill, like when you're first starting out, putting out your work with confidence and, and, and if you think about it, like Allison said, if you think about it, like you're just building relationships, just think about it that way. Like don't get overwhelmed mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. having it making, trying to make it look perfect. Yeah. Um, Jill, one of the things that I love so much about you and the way, and the way that you run your social media is this whole concept of, um, sharing personal stories. So can you elaborate on how you use that as a strategy in your business and how you feel like that could work for other people too? Yeah. So I started, when I started my Instagram and my Facebook pages, I did business pages and then I had my personal account separate and I still have it set up that way, but I only book through my personal account most of the time, um, which I think we talked about at the last podcast episode that I did with you guys. And um, I still do that because I find social media is so crowded now compared to even five Mm -hmm. years ago. It is really hard to get people to notice your work, even if it's good, even if it's amazing. Like it's hard. I look at so many profiles with amazing work that have, you know, so few followers or don't get a whole lot of traction. And I think that the way to get around that or still to get value out of social media is to build those personal relationships. And I think the biggest thing to doing that is to letting yourself be relatable to people Mm -hmm. and sharing your personal story. So if you look at my personal account, it's like my kid and like sometimes some food that I'm making and it's not just work related, but people then feel like they know me because when you're doing family films, your clients need to be comfortable enough to have you in their home for hours being themselves. Absolutely. Right. So hard. You know, that's a big ask. It is. And like a lot of times I think dads and, you know, maybe people who haven't seen a lot of films are just like, what? You're having a stranger in my house for to right. me doing normal things. You really want to be able to have people think like, I know this person that's coming in. It's not mm-hmm. a stranger. Mm-hmm. Like I know their life, we're friends, whatever. And you, you mm-hmm. kind of have that rapport with people that, you know, it's really personal. And I think sharing your personal stories helps them to feel like, okay, I actually know this person. Even yeah, if you right. don't, haven't met before in person. Yeah. How do you, how do you, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, Allison. go. <laughs> <laughs> I have so much to say. <laughs> um, Jill, how do you, yeah. How do you, how do you play out that age old question? Um, and this kind of is what you're saying, I realize, but I want you to kind of dig into it more. Um, when you have your, you're saying you have a personal account that you're just kind of sharing all the things on. And then there's people who have like the business account and the personal account. And I mean, should they just have a business slash personal account on like, let's say Instagram, for example, what, what's the, is there drawbacks to doing that? Is it, is that changing and now it's okay? I mean, I do the same thing as you. I have, it's just kind of a mishmash of both and I have young kids. And so that's easy for me. Um, what, what do you think standard practice, good practice is right now with that? I've gone back and forth on whether to delete my business account altogether. And I've decided against it for these reasons, even though I book all of my work through my personal account or a majority of it, and I'm not sharing, I don't share my client work on my grid on my Instagram and pretty rarely on my personal Facebook page either. Um, mm-hmm. But I still feel like my clients feel valued if I'm sharing their work excitedly on Instagram or on Facebook. Totally, and the place yeah. that I do that is my business page. So even though okay. that's maybe not funneling my majority of my clients, it's still adding value enough that I think it's worth my time. Also, mm-hmm. I think it just 
for, for clients that are maybe not super young and up on buying stuff on Instagram, they might just engage with that a little, a little bit easier or see it as more of a professional space, mm-hmm. right? It's not just like maybe the steak I cooked last night and, <laughs> and also here's some photography that I did. Like it's a little bit more right. like, okay, this is my business side. Um, I do think there's okay. value to having that. I definitely do think you can have both and it both work well. It's just for me, I don't put a whole lot of effort into posting on my business account because it doesn't give me a whole lot back. I have a follow-up question to that. So what about, I'm seeing now people switch to Sydney family photographer as their main name or a Detroit family photographer, whatever, rather than Jill Seaver photography. Yeah. Right. What's your thought on that? I think it's a great idea, particularly on Instagram, where it can be very difficult to find your location. Like, I don't know if you've mm. got an account from anywhere else as far as the Yeah, what's up with that? Like, people mm. don't put in that, somewhere in that little bio, it should have where yeah, you're located. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just a caveat, though, like, also your name recognition is huge because mm. I can find it difficult even switching for the academy between mm. the people that I know in the network based on their first names and then their Instagram handles, and I can't put the two and two uh, together. Yeah. So, like, you want people to know your first name at least and your yep. location on Instagram for sure. Mm. Like that needs to be pretty, pretty obvious, I think. Yeah. So yeah. when someone has a business name that is not their personal name, um, we have a number of our Academy students that are that way, photographers that are that way as well. Um, what do you think about that versus having their name as a business? I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. I just think that you need to make sure your name is visible on your website as well and on your Instagram or Facebook or both um, really straight away. Like it should be your business name and then right underneath it should be your your first name. So I feel like from um, just this is an interesting topic and from a community point of view, um, we've only just moved into an area that's actually like feels feels like a community in the, you know, however many years, decades, something years that I've lived here. Um, and I would say that being, it's kind of like, you know, they'll say, what's your name though? You're like introducing yourself to people and you're, my name is Courtney Holmes. And it's like, if I had my business name being a different name, mm-hmm. they wouldn't, necessarily automatically know who I like that that was my business but because it is my name then if they when they hear me say it's Courtney Holmes they'll be like oh I've seen you on Instagram right and so I feel like that's one benefit of having the two be the same it also goes back to like how can you build a relationship with someone that you don't know their first name off the like you can say I have a relationship with the photographer that's coming from so-and-so photography. It sounds a lot less yeah. personable than I know Jill from Jill Seymour Photos. Yeah. Photos. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, totally. One more hurdle for the relationship. I think so, it would come across much better if someone was like contacting me or, you know, commenting on stuff and like trying to befriend me. Um, if it was their actual name and not business name, if a business name account was trying to contact me and like talk to me in my DMs and stuff, I'd be like, what do you want? Yeah, <laughs> totally. Um, just thinking about it from being the client, um, 
point of view. Um, Let's move to Facebook. So Mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, we've been talking a lot about Instagram. Yes. Um, One of the things that we talked about in our prep meeting was uh, the the different people who are on the two different Mm -hmm. platforms. And um, what I've noticed is that a lot of people my age, a lot of moms my age are on Facebook. (laughs) Mine too. (laughs) Because they are usually like their kids have some sort of school group like there's like how everybody decides the way they're going to communicate with each other is I'll set up a Facebook group and so all the kids sports um, our swim team has one our basketball team has one like all the Facebook groups that's how we communicate it's super annoying but that it is what it is that's life right Courtney are you just saying that you and I are old and that Jill is not (laughs) Jill is not as old as us mid-30s is not old (laughs) I'm not saying we're old. I'm just saying we are, we are what we are. Okay. Let's call it space. space. So, um, anyway, I would not be so actually I, I told a lie to you guys yesterday or the other day when we talked, I was on Instagram before I was on Instagram as a photographer. So oh. earlier I had said I would not be on Instagram if I was not like a photographer. So I don't think my, most of my people, my clients are on Instagram. They're on Facebook because their kids have after school activities that they have to be. Um, but so I actually was when I had a baby, my first child Cooper, um, I was part of like a social uh, app, baby motherhood thing. It was called baby bump back in the day we're we're going back 10 years the internet was around um and so instagram was quite new and so i created profile i still have that profile and it has like all these it was really instagram was really new um and but you know what if anybody had requested to follow me i'd be like no hard no Mm -hmm. like there's no chance i'm not gonna no and it's so different now Um, and I still don't think I would continue to be on it. Like I've met lots of moms. Um, there was a mom I was talking to at swimming the other day and she was asking, we were talking about my work and I said, Oh, are you on Instagram? And she was like, Oh no, (laughs) no. And she said, "Uh, I'm on Facebook. Do you want to friend me on Facebook? And I'm like, sure. So (laughs) You know, like, and so then for a lot of, if I'm showing any other mom my age, um, my portfolio, I'll pull that up on Instagram. I'm not going to pull up a Facebook feed for that. Yeah. No. I like Instagram for that. But they're also less, like, they're they're most likely going to contact me on Facebook if they're going to contact me or my email. So I just thought that was an interesting thing. So we were talking about Facebook strategies, and it's all about knowing who your target market is and where they spend their time. So yep. if your target market is not in on Instagram, do we need to spend our time no. focusing and on Instagram? Maybe not. Right. right. I think, I think it's a very interesting conversation. I think it's good that we pointed out the age differences <laughs> and knowing where your clients are. Yeah. Um, I am very similar to you, Cordy, in that where I live in Saudi Arabia, my audience is on uh, Facebook. And 
I've had a, I've had conversations on Instagram Messenger with people who are like, you do photo shoots? You yeah. you shoot in the sand dunes? I'm like, oh yeah, <laughs> but I don't post it here because mm-hmm. my audience that lives here is not in Instagram land. They're like, what's Instagram? What? Why? Why would you do that? Like it's it's just yeah. a non conversation. I've got a question so I, for you guys. You Facebookers. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> are the people who follow you or like that are your target market that are your friends on Facebook or in the similar groups? Are these people that you have a prior relationship with or are they like, do you get, I find I struggle with Facebook because unless I want to do paid ads, I'm not reaching new people because my profile is set to private. So if I put it on Instagram, there's potential that anyone could see me in my area. So that's just my only struggle. That's why I do Facebook and mom's group sponsored mm-hmm. posts. Um, and I know that Courtney, you've done some in the past and some members in the Academy yeah. have done paid ads on Facebook to try and get more reach. Right. And that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. But like for me right now, I don't want to put any more money into advertising because I'm not looking to get a whole bunch of new clients. So like for me, Instagram is just free. Yeah. Right. Right. I would, I would definitely say that it's like a community level thing. Um, and I wouldn't say that I'm necessarily growing through Facebook unless I am paying for ads. Um, in terms of like local reach, I'm yeah. not, I, it, it, it's definitely, that's the case. And I feel kind of bad for anyone who's trying to build up a following on Facebook right now, because right. Right. Compared to what it used to be, like, it's just, it's not- I mean, my following has def- hasn't, has barely increased on Facebook yeah. um, at all. So, you know, it's, it's kind of one of those things where it's like you, you establish the relationship first and then they'll follow you on Facebook. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's, they're more warm leads than cold. Yeah. I feel like on Facebook too, it's a, it's, we talk about word of mouth marketing being such an important thing, whether it's on Instagram or on Facebook. But I've noticed that when you have, you have somebody share an album that you sent to them, or they share a gallery that you sent them, or they share your film or whatever on Facebook, that puts you in front of a lot of their friends. And that's, that's where I find I'm booking clients is word of mouth marketing by my clients on Facebook of work they've got. So you're right. It's a prior established relationship. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm, I, when I book a client that's new, that's heard about me through somebody else on Facebook, one of my first things I do is I friend them on Facebook and that's like months before the session I'm friending them. And if I can find their husband, I'll friend them too. And like, that's intentional on my part Mm -hmm. so that there is a relationship being established there. They see my normal everyday stuff happening. And then once I put their work out and I tag them in it, then that's just easy word of mouth marketing that's happening. And that's Uh, really the point. And like, that's why I think people should, I have a Facebook account that I don't do that much with for my business, but it's worth having because that influx of people seeing you from the, from word of mouth, from other clients is invaluable. That is very, you know, a really easy way to just get more new clients is to have your old client share your work. So whether you do a whole bunch of proactive stuff to get new clients on Facebook, maybe not be. Yeah. I wouldn't say I'm doing that either. Yeah. You're right. You can go the paid advertising route. And can we talk a little bit about, you mentioned really briefly in there about the groups, um, the power of groups on Facebook, because that is a very, like I said, powerful medium to contact and get your health self in front of people. Talk about what you think about that. Yeah. That's how I got started. Like all, most of my clients, when I first got started, were all from a 
Facebook moms group in my local area that I pay $100 a year to advertise, I think twice a month. Um, and I don't do it so much anymore, but at the time it was easy access to a very, um, just easy, easy target audience for me. It's new moms, right? So it wasn't super particular, but it was who I wanted to book me and it worked. I, that was kind of the first thing I tried and it was the only thing I did for my first two years, I think. Um, and it for a hundred bucks a month or a year, sorry, that is like, got me the establishing relationships that I needed to start a business in my current area. And I do recommend to anyone in the network that asks like, how do I get started reaching out to anyone? That is an easy way to just quickly get your work in front of people. Even if you don't get a lot of traction with it, people can go back and search old posts that are in a group. It doesn't go away, right? So if they type in newborn photographer, anytime that I've ever posted it is going to show up. Yeah. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, you can never have your face in front of people too many times, even if, even if you book one person, like, yeah, hundred bucks for one client's not that, you know, bad at the end of the day. Yeah. How do yeah. you feel about people who are doing photographers? I've seen recently, and maybe in the last year or so, I've seen photographers that are opening Facebook groups for their client base, who is like an already established client base, and, and instead of using their Facebook business page, and maybe they still are using that, but they've opened a specific group to former clients that they invite to the group, and then they market to that client base in the group. What do you think about that strategy? I've seen photographers do it really well and they seem to have a captured audience and I can't speak to whether they're booking those clients more regularly or getting more dollars Mm -hmm. per client. I can't say for them. However, for me, I'm not doing that because it's a closed group. So only people who are invited, you've got a limited, it's captured audience, but a limited I don't personally interact in the groups that I've been added into. Like I've been added into like four or five different photographer <laughs> groups and I just like notifications off, cannot right. deal with this. See one more thing. So my question to those photographers is how much time are you putting into it and what mm-hmm. value are you getting out compared to not doing it? If yeah, you're booking okay. 20 new clients, the great keep doing it. It's working for me. I don't think I have the time given my life situation now mm to run a private Facebook group constantly Mm. and manage my business. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. We were talking about this the other day and I mean, it's kind of like having an email newsletter. So it's essentially the same thing as in you are capturing a set audience, so to speak. And then you're, you're marketing to them, but it's on Facebook instead of through an email. And so maybe they're going to have a higher chance of engaging with you, having conversations with you, um, and potentially a higher chance then of seeing your posts rather than, you know, hoping that they open your email. So I, I think there's definitely pros and cons to it. I think, um, the hard thing about it, I mean, one good thing is that Facebook does that thing where they recommend groups to you. So if it was public or like, I think they still recommend private groups. Yeah. Yeah. I think you can request access to groups if it's. Yeah. So, I mean, that it's, it's not a horrible idea. And I would agree with you that Jill though, like it's just how much benefit do you get out of it really? Um, 
And yeah, I would, maybe we should find someone who's doing it and we can get them on the podcast and ask them. <laughs> it would be interesting to talk to them about for sure. I, yeah. I would imagine that you'd have to have a, maybe a high turnover kind of a, or yeah. a high client high base kind of a person. High volume thing. That's hard. It's yeah. early in the morning here. <laughs> Not turnover. I also yeah. Think yeah. You have to have a high volume are changing what they're selling to. It's not just about sessions anymore. It's presets. It's, you know, mm. their workflow. It's all these, uh, things for photographers as well. And I see that a lot in groups mm. that to me makes more sense. Cause maybe they're seeing how your presets look on different photos from different group members or something. Mm. Like when you're selling a product like that, maybe I can see it working really well for people trying to do that. I think I'm talking more about photographers who are, they are specifically putting their clients that they have shot into yeah. a group. So this family from last weekend, this family from last night. So it's not, maybe it's other photographers, but mostly it's, well, you know, yeah, same thing, whether they're doing it that way or other, I think a lot of right. photographers, their photographer friends are their, or not friends, but other photographers might be their target audience. And that's the way that they're getting more dollars per mm. client out of them. But it's the same thing. I mean, it's still at the end of the day, are you selling your product or your sessions to your client or the time that you're putting into it? Here's my other Mm -hmm. thing. And this is what I always go back to. It's one of the reasons why I refused to have the Academy be in a Facebook group is because (laughs) Facebook owns your group. You don't own your group. So, you know, if you spend all this time building a group, with like, I mean, in all your time building a group and then Facebook decides to shut it down or you get one person that just like, doesn't like you and has a vendetta and they, you know, they, they try to shut you down. Like there are ways that people can conspire against you. Sorry, I'm not trying to be all conspiracy theory here, but it's just not, it's just not, uh, it's just not guaranteed. You would not put right that you're much better off spending your time and effort on something you have control over, like an email list. Facebook can't like, nobody can take away your email list. I mean, you need to make sure you have a good provider, but still (laughs) (laughs) it's very different. Facebook is known for shutting down groups at a moment's notice, like without any kind of warning. So I think that's another thing that I would be really cautious about. Um, Let's talk about, Jill, you made a really good point um, about like the different kind of buyer behaviors between Facebook and people who are on Instagram. And so kind of what they're doing while they're on there. Um, What would you like, what's your opinion around that? And what would you say that someone who's wanting to get their work out there should be thinking about when they're doing posts to make sure that they're, you know, getting the right things in front of people, what should they be doing? Getting the most out of it. Mm. Yeah. So what I think about is like everything I do is I try and put myself in the shoes of my potential clients. So I know that they're probably sitting on Instagram scrolling while they're watching TV at the end of the day with their partner and they're probably not listening to sound and they're just having a quick, you know, scroll through. So if I want to really promote my films, I'm going to choose the most visually interesting section of my film, um, on an Instagram person, yeah. let's say, um, and maybe have shorter clips because I know I've got three seconds to capture their attention. And so many of our films start with scene setting and it's like amazing yeah. the overall film, but like three seconds of foliage outside the front of a house or, you know, the opening scene of a film might not be the most interesting 
bit of the film. So mm. yeah, I definitely okay. would try and get the most visually interesting, knowing that they might not listen to the music, which is sad, but like at least get them interested, right? Yeah. And then gonna write a caption that's a little bit longer so that if it even takes them three seconds to read the caption as opposed to half a second, like I say this, even though I don't always do this. So don't go look on my Instagram and see how short my caption is. <laughs> but if I were to try to do it to get new clients and do it really well, I would take a bit of time and try and write something either engaging or a little bit longer to get them to linger over my post a bit longer. Yeah. All of these things, like even a few seconds can mean a lot to the algorithm on whether or not your mm-hmm. material is interesting. Mm-hmm. So um, if they can do a quick like and move on, then it's probably not going to you know, get you the traction that you want. So yeah, post something longer, maybe ask a question or something that's relatable. Um, so get that interaction going and again, foster that sort of relationship with somebody. Mm. That's how I would do it on, and of course, hashtag your local area and all that mm. on Instagram. Um, yeah, on Facebook, I've been, because I do the Academy Facebook, I've been getting notifications from Facebook that longer videos are better. Yeah. Because um, they try and give you tips on how to do how to, how to get more traction. So on Instagram, I think at the moment, you should post longer than three minute videos. I think they said are mm-hmm. best. Um, also, if you use Vimeo or YouTube or anything, do not post a link to YouTube or Vimeo on Facebook because yes. you are... Yes, yes please. <laughs> please, how many times do we see that? Yeah. You're sending your clients away from Facebook, okay? Yeah. So they, they clicked on the link, they're now in Vimeo or they're somewhere else. And that just signals to Facebook, okay, this person's, this person's content is actively removing active users from Facebook. We don't like this. So then you yeah. get shared to anybody. Nobody mm-hmm. sees it. So mm-hmm. take the time, download it to your phone or download it to your computer and upload the file directly to Facebook. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. It's worth, it's worth it doing that. Definitely. It, the reach goes so much further and people are engaged with it. It's one less click. People don't like clicking. They like no. it to be very, very easy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And so, um, in terms of, so that, I mean, that's buying behaviors. And we were talking earlier about how like having, um, an email newsletter, we've mentioned that several times. Um, yes. One of the things that I, I think a lot of people aren't doing that they should be doing is use the reach that you get from Instagram and from Facebook and drive the traffic to your newsletter sign up so that you can then email them. And not enough people are doing that. Um, And I think that, again, still keeping on with what Jill's talking about with the whole relationship building and that side of things, it's not in a robotic way. Like you're not trying, don't look at it as all I want to do is market to these people. People aren't going to want to engage with you if all you're doing ever is selling to them. So what it is that you need to be sending out in your newsletter to them needs to be the same kinds of things that you would be posting on social media, not necessarily like everything about your life, but mixing it in and keeping it personal. So, um, but then another thing that can be said about that is having that engagement because Jill, when you were talking about building relationships and all of that, um, one thing that you've said before is how 
when you're contact, like when you're talking to someone on Instagram, Instagram automatically sees that this person is engaging with you. And so you're more likely to show up in their feed Mm -hmm. if you're communicating through DMs. Is that right? Yeah, I think my workflow and, and your guys' workflow is a little bit tiny different there because um, I try and do a dual strategy where yeah. I definitely get... When, when someone says, oh, you do you do clients and can I have your prices? I Which I have decided to leave off my website for that reason. Then people yeah. tend to inquire on Instagram for me. So it's like, okay. So they inquire on Instagram, can I have your prices? And I say, sure. I have it in a PDF form. It's easier to send over email. Would you mind giving me an email? Um, nice. And then they say, sure. So then I have their email. I send them the thing um, over email. And then I go right back to DMs and I carry on the conversation on DMs because it's it's really not convenient. It's really inconvenient to do this because then all of your information about the session and stuff is being discussed on Instagram DMs. It's painful. But um, if it carries on on DMs, they're more likely to see your work. If you post a story, your stories profile button is in their inbox constantly. They're just more likely to see your stuff. So for me, I don't personally do an email list at the moment because as Courtney and Allison both know, I'm not a design person and I find putting things like that together. <laughs> you need, you need flow flow desk, desk. You need flow <laughs> desk. You need flow <laughs> desk. It'll change your life. <laughs> you, we need to have like a partnership with flow desk because we love We them. do. We need to do an email uh, podcast <laughs> just about flow desk. Flow desk. <laughs> flow desk. If you're listening the flow right desk now, podcast. reach out flow desk. We want to hear from you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So if you have Flowdesk and this is something that comes easily to you, then do it because it's going to drive so much value. If you're like me and you're like putting together an email, kind of makes me want to stab my own eyeballs out. It seems really <laughs> difficult. What I do, how I think of it is I have their email. So when I'm ready and when Courtney's ready to show me how to Flowdesk, I've got it. <laughs> I can send them an email. But also if I put stuff on Instagram... And I put maybe what I would put in an email on Instagram, then I have potential for everyone who's not my, not on my email list to see it, as well as everybody who's emailed me for priceless or quotes also sees it. So Mm -hmm. I'm like, that's where I'm getting value right now. That Mm -hmm. is where I have time to put into is into my DMs. So Mm -hmm. that's just what I'm focusing on now. And again, that's not best practice. Like I would recommend everyone has an email list and that it's just, if you're trying to figure out what you have time for and do that whole balance, everything you've got going on, maybe look at where you're getting your clients and where they're seeing your work. And if, for, if you're getting enough value out of just doing Instagram, do that. What if you're not getting clients though? Yeah. Then do the email list. <laughs> like start building your email list. So <laughs> Courtney, let's, so Jill was saying hers is different. I want to hear how, you, uh, let's go with you now. How, how are you approaching a DM that arrives in Facebook or in Instagram? How does that oh, look for you? Well, actually it is very similar to Jill in regards to if they contact me through DMs and they're asking about pricing, I treat that very differently to, um, to pushing people to my email list. So when I talk about pushing people to my email list, that's more of a, um, a thing that I'll do like it 
in a post, in like a, an Instagram post or on stories. And it's kind of more like, if you want to learn more about this thing or whatever, whatever lead magnet it is that I've got going on at that time or whatever kind of promotion that I'm running, um, I'm trying to get a large number of people to my email list. And I'm always really trying to funnel people to my website. Um, yeah, because that's really where I want people to contact me through. But if I get an inquiry through Instagram, a DM, then I'll do the same thing. I don't have my pricing on my website right now. Um, and so they'll contact me cause they want to get information on pricing and availability. Usually that's what happens. And so I will respond and get their email address and send them the pricing guide. So pretty much exactly what Jill does, send them my right. pricing guide. And then from there, I'll either follow up on Instagram or I tend to keep my, um, this is where we're different, but I tend to keep that client communication through email because I have so much that's going on in my DMs. If I lost that information and also because I'm booking so far out in advance, like 12 months in advance, sometimes Mm -hmm. I can't have that stuff in Instagram. So that I always have that in email and then also as much as possible, everything in my CRM. So, um, and I use studio ninja for that. So um, it's important to say, if you're doing the DM strategy where you keep the conversation going, what I do is I was using 17 hats, which I'm going to switch to studio ninja, um, now, but I manually put in the information that we've had on DMS into their, into their, um, the workflow yes. for them for their project uh, because that's good. Then I'm like, okay, it's there. Then it's you have it. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's really good. Um, I think, you know, if I, I just hate social media, your thoughts on emails, <laughs> that's me. Like I hate social media. So that's I really it. just don't like to spend that much time on there. And uh, yeah, so there you Fair go. Enough. But I really appreciate that strategy and I think it's super smart. So um, yeah, I think that that's what, that's what I do. Well, Allison, what do you do? I think I feel like I do mostly a hybrid of what you guys said. I I agree with lots of everything you say. I think in my head, if I have something I want to tell my clients, my go-to is email. It didn't used to be that way. I would say a year ago, that was not the case. But now if I have something I need to communicate, whether it's personal, like you were saying, Courtney, just behind the scenes or whether it's actual, here is something I'm offering. Um, my go-to is I'm telling them via email first. I think of that list as like my special people (laughs) and they get to know first. And then if you see it on Facebook, if you see it on Instagram, it's already been communicated by email first, if it's something important. So that's, so I, I agree with, if somebody gives me a DM, I'm trying to get their email so that I can get them information. Then I continue the conversation and I build that relationship. Absolutely. Yes. But in my head, my email list is, is up there. It's Mm -hmm. good just to note too, that I think this is going to be different for people who are established and have established clients and their established price point. Mm -hmm. Like if you're first starting out, that might, you might get there. So maybe don't make that your gold, your, well, it's your gold standard, but like not what you need to achieve now. If you're first starting out, go with the flow on DMs until you have that really established group of people that are going to book you year after year at the price that you want. And then forget DMs and do the the email strategy because it is, like you say, easier to book, you know, clients that you have that sort of relationship with. So I think it is definitely something that it's like, maybe when you make the list of things that you should do, instead of making the list of like, because I get like this and I know people in the network do, I'm going to do a showreel, I'm going to fix my website, I'm going to get my PR (laughs) I'm working and like you get all this list and it becomes really overwhelming. Maybe go, two years from now, I want to have an established email list. Let's work towards that. And it doesn't have to be... That's fantastic. Definitely. 
Yeah, it never has to be. I love that. And another thing that I want to just point out is that if it feels overwhelming to be doing both, know that you can repurpose your content. So whatever it is that you're putting out in your emails, um, especially like if they're designed well and whatnot, you can screenshot that in the size of a story or even like I've done it on my phone. So I've, um, you know, just gone after I've sent the email out, I'll open up my phone, have the email there, screenshot it on my phone. And then when I put it on my stories, I just zoom in a little bit so that it gets rid of the stuff at the top and the bottom. And then I'm good to go. Like that's super simple. Um, and you're, you're repurposing the time that you've spent on the design, you're repurposing that content. So, um, just be smart, work smarter, not harder. Yeah. That tip is like, makes me think I should do more with my, uh, there you go. Let's get you on below desk. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of like keeping working smarter, how do we set boundaries around social, social media usage? Um, I think it's like you said, Jill, it's easy to just go overboard and, and then all of a sudden half your day is on your phone and your iPhone tells you how many hours you've spent on your phone. And it's just horrifying. Yeah. I had to turn it off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how do you run a small business, but also, you know, engage, but keep boundaries with social media? Hmm. So what I've, I've realized is that like, you don't have to do, I look at some people's Instagram and they're so elaborate and beautiful and well put together. And I think that's amazing. And I wish that I was like that all the time. But if you end up figuring out and really having a hard look at where you're getting value out of Instagram, put all your time in there. So for me, I'm not booking clients in California, let's say. So like interacting with someone who lives in California and responding to their DMs first or whatever, I thought it was a waste of my time business wise. Hmm. So that's last on the list if I ever get to it type thing, Mm. just hypothetically. Mm. Um, Same thing with my stories. Unfold has these uh, layouts and they're beautiful. And as a photographer, they make my heart sing when I see these (laughs) beautiful layouts of their sessions. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, but for me right now, because I'm not trying to book any more new clients this year, especially this year, um, I'm not doing that right now because it's, it's not what I need to be focused on. So I'm focusing on responding to my clients or potential clients DMS, um, sharing my personal stories and photos and sharing my work just so my face is out there and I'm still relevant and my hashtags will still bring me up to people that are looking for local photographers. And then I'm going to forget the rest right now. So I'm not posting every single day. I'm not commenting on every, which person out there, like you know, I'm not interacting with every single account that comes across or likes my page. Um, I'm not responding to DMs to people that aren't my potential clients or people that I feel like are on the same page and I want to build a relationship with on a personal level. Then like all that stuff is going in the can do a different day bin. You know, I I think that, um, I love all that you've said. And I think what you said at the very beginning about how, um, you're, your work is not, or your, your social media isn't perfect, but that's also who you are too. You know, like, Mm -hmm. like you don't, you shouldn't come across polished. I mean, you're very polished, Jill, don't get me wrong, but like (laughs) (laughs) you're very polished and professional, but like, here's an example. So Kylie and I were talking about this the other day and, um, you know, she does these like car stories and, she posts a lot of personal stuff and, you know, she's extremely professional and polished, but 
her, her Instagram has such personality to it. And I think that sometimes, um, businesses who have everything really like perfect and, you know, everything's designed perfectly and everything is said perfectly and all of that, that can kind of be a little bit off-putting. If that's who your target client is, then great. But for me, my target client is someone who is okay with imperfection. And so, you know, I think that's something to also consider. And so that's a, it's a one way of kind of letting it go and being okay with that. Totally. And I think clients really appreciate like, you know, as photographers and filmmakers that have a lot going on, you end up having those days where you like set this deadline and like, maybe it's not going to happen because your gig got sick that week. And so you put that out there, like, ah, I can't get any work done because my kid's sick. And then your clients are a whole lot more. They get it. They know your personal story and they know what's going on in your life. It's not just like, Hey, where are my photos? Where's my film? It's like, Oh yeah. She's got things going on than just her job. Yeah. That's actually one of the, one of the things that happens, like legitimately you'll be like, your kid is sick. And then, but some clients waiting on something, (laughs) I'm not going to post session like photos from another session. Like that's just not something you should be doing because your client might be watching that and be like, where's my stuff? Oh yeah. (laughs) It's just, it's just a thing to think about. Um, okay. So let's talk about, um, one of the things that you said was think like your potential client, think like the algorithm. It's hard to get traction. You're rewarded for activity throughout the day for not, not for appearing like a robot. Tell me more about that and what, what your thoughts are on that. Yeah. I think like people build the algorithm up as this like really complex robot telling you whether your work is good or not. And I think that that's probably a little bit of an overcomplicated view of what's going on. Basically, if you want traction on social media, you just have to look like you've got content that's getting people's attention. Hmm. And you have to look like you're a person that's an active user of that platform because that's what they want for their advertisers, right? For them, at the end of the day, their stats are, we've got this many people on here for this long during the day. So that becomes hard when you're like, well, then what do I need to be on it all day to get any sort of payoff? Hmm. And I don't think that's necessarily true, but I think when you're on it, a lot of people just scroll and have a look through what's going on. Instead of doing that, instead of taking 10 minutes just browsing, really spend that 10 minutes commenting on stuff so you appear more active. Um, I I usually post within the same time frame in the morning because that's when most of my followers are either awake in the States or, you know, awake over here as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I always have it within a four or five hour window, but I just, I'm not posting, I'm not setting an alarm and posting every time at 8 a.m. because mm-hmm. then it just looks like this person is just on for one minute at 8 a.m. and it's yeah. not... It's not like it's not an actual person. Mm-hmm. I just pick the moment that I have the most time to sort of spend 10 minutes posting it and then interacting with other accounts too. So mm-hmm. just make yourself seem as active as possible with active with your, you know, potential clients, if that's what you're trying to build the business. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. When, when you're on it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's easy and I'm, I'm totally guilty of this. I would love to know what you think too, Allison, but like, I think it's easy to kind of look at Instagram and feel like what you should be focusing is on is the number of followers and the number of likes and how well your photo does when you, when you post it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think that that's a mistake. Do you think that's a mistake? <laughs> <laughs> would you agree? Yeah. Jill? Yeah, I, I'm not... Oh, me, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Jill. 
I don't think it's a, like, I think that's an important component. The more people who follow you and see your work, obviously is the more people that are, you know, giving you that encouragement that they like your work and might book you. Yeah. But I just don't think that that's, you, how many, you, you actually, you and Francesca hit the nail on the head when you, in your podcast with her, when you said, I need 30 clients a year. Mm-hmm. How can I find 30 people to book me? Well, mm-hmm. Instagram is yes. the same thing. You need 30 clients. So if you're interacting with 30 people that might book you, you're nailing it. If you're worried about 10,000 people like following you and that's all you want, then right. you're probably doing it for internal validation, which I don't think equals to business profit. Yeah. No. I find it, I find it to be too stressful. If you're, if you're focusing on the numbers like that, I don't have enough hours in my day with kids and running a business to, to worry about that. I want to post stuff that makes me happy and I want to post stuff that's relevant and that shares a bit of my heart, but also shares my, my vision for what I want to be shooting. And if that happens to look great in my feed by happy accident. Fantastic. (laughs) There's not a lot of planning that went into it looking that way. I just, I, I don't have hours to devote to that as a mom. And so I'm not going to waste my time worrying that this post got a hundred likes and this one didn't, you know, it's just, I think that, um, it's very easy as someone who's a new photographer, a new filmmaker, new to business, any of those three, um, to think that having a really large following will equate to getting bookings more easily. And Mm -hmm. I'm going to say that that is not true because just because you have followers, I know someone who has 25,000 followers and she's not any busier than I am. So, you know, I think that the end of the day, what it comes down to is your marketing and the way that like your strategy and the way that you're building relationships with the people, as Jillian has said, and, um, Jillian, I just read your name, Jillian. (laughs) Do you like that? Does that feel feel very formal? Am I in trouble? Jillian. (laughs) You need her middle name. (laughs) Um, (laughs) but as she was saying, you know, it's just that building relationships with people and it's that marketing strategy that you should be working on. And your marketing strategy can't just be, I'm going to get 5,000 followers or 10,000 followers or 20. When I reach 10,000 followers, I'll get more bookings. When I reach 20,000 followers, it's just not how it works. Like that is not how it works at all. So if you're, you can have 20,000 followers, if you're not marketing to them, and telling them what to do or like, you know, actually suggesting, Hey, contact me to book a session. <laughs> and that's all marketing right. is. So it's just, I, I think that I wanted to kind of reiterate that you don't need to focus on the numbers. Um, what are some other, um, pitfalls, mistakes that mm-hmm. we see photographers and family filmmakers making on uh, social media? I just, I think what I see is people posting all, all of the photographers and filmmakers that I see, they post their client sessions and they'll post something like lots of great smiles at the session. And it's really, really difficult to get people to care about a family they don't know. Yeah. For instance, sure. even if they're beautiful. My favorite is, it was such a pleasure working with this family. <laughs> It's just no personality and there's no reason to engage in it. And people just are like, I've got limited time to look at the screen and I don't know who this family is. Yeah, sure. Yeah. That's tough. 
One of the things, and if I'm just going to offer an, a tip for how to alleviate this would be like, I, when I, whenever I get stuck and I have a photo, I think, how can I tell a story about this photo? What was happening mm-hmm. when this You're photo was so taken? You know, you are what, that. How can I tell a story about this? Because if I just try to say something, nothing will come to mind. Like if I try to, <laughs> I can't describe the photo. I can't, but I just tell a story about how either how it ended up or how it made me feel. And one of those two things, those are my go-tos for captions. Good. Mm. That's good. Um, so, Courtney, yeah. what other mistakes are you seeing? I feel like you can answer this question a little bit too. On social media, what, do you, what are other pitfalls and mistakes that you're seeing family filmmakers and photographers make? Um, family filmmakers, I'll be really specific about this one, um, okay. is, is that they all just like they'll make their one film and they'll post it once and then that's it. And they don't ever post it again. Um, I think that that's, that's something that, um, we, you don't, you're not limited. And I know that that's really hard for people to cut their films into sections (laughs) because we are storytellers and we want to tell the whole story, not just like part of the story. But when you think about it, if you put your mind into the person who is looking and scrolling through, then Mm -hmm. when they, as they're scrolling and they see like the very first thing that they see is in like your best clip, just like you are going to choose your best photos from the session to post on social media. So Mm -hmm. find where that is in your film because we (laughs) not always your best. So find your best in the film and post that like post 10 to 15 to 30 to 60 seconds even of that film and use that more than just the one time. And then also Mm -hmm. post the one film, um, have that in your Instagram, like IGTV Post right. your films in IGTV, but post your post clips, smaller clips of them um, as well. All right. So, well, let's talk about um, before we kind of wrap things up here, ways to make sure that I mean, we've talked about, you know, how often to post, we've talked about all the other different things, but how can you get your work be seen more, particularly films in your feed for Instagram and Facebook? Um, so we talked, we mentioned this earlier, don't put your, uh, don't use a Vimeo link, upload your films directly to Facebook. If you're a member of the Academy, um, I include my export settings for Premiere Pro and I use those for Facebook upload, for the Vimeo upload, what I give to the clients, all the things. So you, you really have no reason not to just upload it directly to Facebook <laughs> and it makes such a big difference. Um, having some sort of call to action at the end. Um, what are some of your weird tips? You guys want to share some, how to, how to get your film seen more? I mean, this is going to be like a silly tip, but I think it works. First of all, joining the loops because that's, you know, 30 some comments. Like those are always great. Those are once a month. Is it, yeah, one, twice a month? Yeah. Once a month. We, we, have a, we have a loop in the academy is what she's talking about that yeah. our members have the choice to participate in once a month. And it's pretty fantastic. Yeah, yeah, definitely jump on those if you're in the academy. Otherwise, like I'm always, I pick the time that I know a lot of people who are going to like my stuff um, and comment on my stuff, whether that be family members or other photographers. I always post when I know they're going to be around because they're always, you always have those people, right? That we've talked about this, your parents, your grandparents, um, that annoyingly comment on everything. Well, that's like, (laughs) still traction that we'll put it in front of other people. So 
definitely get right. enlist in some commenters if you need to, if you're getting started and you haven't got great traction, like that is a good way to get started. Mm-hmm. One of the things I love about Instagram right now is how people are, I've noticed a trend, you know, in the last year or so people sharing each other's work. And I think that is, you know, give and give back kind of a thing. And I love that feature, especially in stories is where you see it and people are, they love something and they'll share it and they'll tag you like, Oh, look at this. And I think you pay that forward for other work that you see. And I feel like it's one of my favorite things about Instagram is when people do that and it exposes me to new people and, vice versa. And, um, yeah, yeah. It's a good thing. I love doing that too. And it's one of those things that I'll do just if I see something that I really like. And I think that, um, it's, it's a really, really good thing to do. Any other suggestions before we finish up? I'd say just do it with confidence, whatever you're doing, like you can figure you don't have to have it all perfectly figured out at the beginning. You can grow your, what you say, and you can figure out how to, you know, what gets the most traction and sort of evolve as you go. Like, don't get discouraged just because you haven't nailed it on day one. It takes time to figure it out. And, you know, before you know it, it will become second nature and you'll be able to really speed up how much time you put into writing captions and and picking photos to share or videos to share. So just, um, yeah, give yourself a little bit of time to figure it all out and just have some confidence. Yeah, totally. Totally. This has been so helpful, Jill. Thank you so, so much. Thank you, Jill. Really appreciate it. Just as we love having you and um, couldn't, couldn't run the Academy without you. Thank you so, so much. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks you guys for listening. We will chat to you soon. Bye. Bye. See ya.